On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers are setting themselves up for the stretch run. And by that, I mean they're adding guys to the roster so they have enough healthy bodies to play two meaningless games. But that means we get to focus on other stuff, namely figuring out who these guys are and moving our attention to the Packers' coaching search and beyond. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. How you doing? The Packers have been officially out of the playoffs for a little under three days, more than three days by the time you hear this episode. How you holding up? You used to the idea yet? We kind of had some time to ease into it. Fortunately, this time does get us some time to focus on some different things. Uh, We don't have to worry about pesky things like playing meaningful games in December and beyond. So we get to talk about guys the Packers are signing to fill out the bottom end of their roster in the practice squad, which I will say... I do get a lot of enjoyment out of, and hopefully you will too. I think we've got some good nuggets on a couple of the guys the the Packers have brought along this week. Plus, an update on some stuff we've been doing on the blog, uh, talking about some coaching candidates. I'm interested to to share some of that with you, and so we'll dive into that here in just a second. But first, we've got to sign or talk about two guys the Packers have signed to the active roster. We're not going to dive into their practice squad moves this week. There's just too much other stuff going on, too much other stuff I want to get to. So let's talk about the two guys that have been signed to the active roster, starting with running back Capri Bibbs. This one catches me a little bit off guard. Um, We've said all week that guys the Packers have signed to fill out the, or all year, that the guys that the Packers are signing towards the bottom end of their roster and on the practice squad have to meet one specific condition. They've got to be really good athletes, elite-level athletes, to be getting those jobs at the bottom end of the roster and on the practice squad. Bibbs is not one of those guys. You look at his testing numbers, and it just does not really jump out. He ran a 4.67 in the 40. He had a 29-inch vertical. He had a 106-inch broad jump. None of those are particularly outstanding. The only area where he really excels among his peers, and just generally, I suppose, is his 24 reps on the bench press. So kind of a weird athletic profile for the, a guy the Packers are bringing on board. He's also not been terribly productive despite sticking around in the NFL since 2014. For his career, he has 70 carries for 309 yards and three touchdowns. He also has 29 catches for 305 yards and three touchdowns. This season, with Washington, he's played for Denver previously as well. He has 20 carries for 101 yards and one touchdown, 13 catches for 102 yards and one touchdown, again with Washington. I think there are two kinds of late-season signings. One where you're just trying to get a look at a guy in person that you've seen elsewhere around the league and maybe you, you know had an eyeball on prior to the draft. And two, you just need some bodies. And with Aaron Jones headed to injured reserve and Jamal Williams, the only other running back on the active roster, I think Bibbs falls into that latter category. The Packers just need to have enough enough healthy guys around that they can get through these final two games and then into the offseason. Last season, we had a few of the former signings, including Robert Tanyan, though he ended up on the practice squad. And I think on, on the whole last year, you had more guys that were headed towards the practice squad. This year, more guys are heading towards the active roster. 
because the Packers have dealt with quite a few injuries at a few high-volume positions, like defensive line and in the secondary. I would be surprised if we don't see more signings like this in the future. Bibbs may not be a guy the Packers have long-term plans on, but he can at least help them fill out their roster in the meantime and get them through these final two games and into the offseason. Alan Lazard is a little bit more of an interesting prospect. Sure, why not? Let's sign some more wide receivers. Currently, with Lazard joining the roster, there are seven receivers among the Packers' 53 players. And he's a bit of an interesting prospect. He spent most of this year so far with the Jaguars on their practice squad after signing with them as an undrafted free agent after this spring's draft. He is Iowa State's all-time leader in receptions and receiving yards. Really classic, big body, not super fast, but fast enough type receiver. At 6'4 and 227 pounds, he ran a 4.55 40-yard dash, a good 38-inch vertical leap, a very good 122-inch broad jump, and if we circle back to that metric that we use a lot, the relative athletic score, he scores an 8.58 out of 10. That's elite-level athleticism, much more in the profile of guys that Brian Gutekunst has signed to fill out his roster so far this year. To me, he seems like a bigger-bodied, rich man's Geronimo Allison. Allison, if you'll remember, ran a 4.66 in the 40. He had a 33-inch vertical and a 127-inch broad jump. On the whole, Lazard seems to put it together better. Allison's relative athletic score, just a 1.58. Not an elite athlete. Lazard, though, is. And he's such a good athlete at such a good size that some people have projected him as a tight end. Currently, the Packers have him pegged as a wide receiver, but just for now. And I say for now because Bill Huber of Packer Report says that he talked to Lazard at the Combine this spring, and Lazard mentioned that the Packers liked him as a receiver, tight end, sort of hybrid. Take that for what it's worth. Teams say a lot of things in the preseason or pre-combine period. Who knows what the Packers are really thinking there. You can kind of see it if you look at him. He has a similar body type to a lot of those modern NFL tight ends that, you know, fall into that move category. And he's athletic enough that you can see it working for him like it did for Robert Tanyan. He was also a receiver in college and converted to tight end in the NFL. Who knows? More to the point, though, I wonder what these late-season receiver semi-tryout sort of signings say for a guy like Jamon Moore. Jake Kumaro the past two, three weeks have been, has been taking snaps on offense that you'd have thought have been going, would have been going to Moore. Moore is contributing on special teams, but you'd think he would be getting a shot on offense. And it's a little bit odd that he hasn't. I don't think the Packers are looking to move on from more like right now, but I do think he is going to be in a bit of a fight for a roster spot next summer. He's got a lot of upside still, and there's a good chance he could turn it around. But I would say there has to be a little bit of concern there for more. That's not to say there's not a lot to like about him, but the Packers sure are spending a lot of other resources at receiver, despite having drafted one in the fourth round and the fifth and the sixth last spring. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye out and see if Lazard actually plays. 
and then we'll see what the Packers do, you know, throughout the the spring and summer at receiver going forward. But interesting to see these moves now. Let's talk some coaching candidates. If you've been watching thepowersweep.com, you've seen that we've been doing a series of profiles on people who are at least theoretically possible future Packers head coaches. We've done 16 candidates so far. And I will say right up front, we don't have any kind of inside information as to whether or not these guys are actual candidates. We're just trying to write about as many people as we can that could theoretically end up in the top job in Green Bay. Most of them are probably not going to be anywhere near the job. But right now, we don't know who is. There's still plenty of time left in the season. So getting this information out there now helps us track the narrative a little bit. As a part of this process, we've been asking people on Twitter whenever we release one of these posts, do you want this guy to be the head coach? Pretty simple question, yes or no. And we've rated these candidates in order, 1 through 16, based on those responses so far. We're going to go through the top six, plus a few other ones I think are interesting, in the interest of time. We don't want to go through all 16, because some of these guys aren't going to be super realistic candidates, and I don't want to talk about people that nobody else wants to talk about either. Right off the bat, I will point out that there are only three candidates that more than half the people involved in this polling, unscientific though it may be, are interested in seeing as the Packers' next head coach. And we'll give you those names right off the bat. Or right off the bat, not off the bat. Right off the bat. It's Lincoln Riley, Eric Bieniemy, and Josh McDaniels. Those are the only three polling at above 50% right now. Maybe we'll uncover more people like that as the, the this goes on. But currently, those are the only people getting positive reviews as potential head coaches for the Packers. Like I said, we're going to go with the top six so far, and then a couple others, and we'll make a case for and case against each of these guys, with one exception, and we'll explain that when we get there. Number one, the leading man so far in our polling has been Lincoln Riley. And it's easy to make a case For Lincoln Riley, if you're one of the people who believes the Packers need to hire a young, offensive-minded head coach who's had success as a head coach, maybe not in the NFL, doing offensive things, Lincoln Riley is really the only young guy who sort of fits that profile. Because you want offensive innovation, you've got it. He's been the head coach at Oklahoma for two seasons, and they were third in overall offense scoring in his first season and first in his second. And he's coached two Heisman winners to boot. Hard to beat that. I guess he could have been first in his first year, but third isn't too shabby either. It's a pretty simple case for Riley. If that's what you're looking for in a head coach, that's the guy you get. But the case against him is also pretty simple. Things are going well for him at Oklahoma, so why would he want to leave? And he's not going to leave for anything other than one of the world's best possible head coaching jobs. And I don't think the list of best head coaching jobs available in all of football 
includes that many NFL jobs. If you're a head coach and you're looking for job security and you're looking for one of those great lifetime jobs, all of them are in college. All of them. There is no such thing as a lifetime appointment, a long-term appointment in the NFL. Those are the exception, not the rule. Even if you're like at a second-tier program in college football, if you're a good enough coach, you never have to leave. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma is as close to a god as you can get in college football right now. Nick Saban might be the only god-tier close, but god-tier coach, but Lincoln Riley has got to be close. He's headed that direction. He could have a job for life if he wants it, and things continue to go well for the Sooners. But the leash is a lot longer for a guy like Riley at Oklahoma than it's ever going to be in the NFL. So why would he want to leave? That's the problem with Lincoln Riley. That's your case against him. Number two on the list. Oh, and I should mention, Riley currently has a 76% approval rating in our poll. 76% would be fine with him as the next head coach of the Packers. Considerably lower is Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's polling at 56%. And the case for him is a lot like Riley. Have you seen the Kansas City Chiefs offense? Have you seen Patrick Mahomes? How could you not want somebody who coordinates that offense running the show for you? And I get that point. But the flip side is pretty straightforward here too. Prior to this season, Eric Bieniemy had never held a job higher than offensive coordinator in the NFL. He had never been a coordinator before this year at the NFL level. He was a running backs coach everywhere else he'd been. He was an offensive coordinator for Colorado back in the day, but that's all the higher he's climbed. And how often do you want to just keep plucking fruit from the Andy Reid coaching tree? Sooner or later, you're going to get a bad apple here. It can't work out again and again and again. Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy are great. How sure are you that you're going to get another one of those guys off the tree again? Sure, it's trendy. Sure, the Chiefs are doing great. But how, do you, how convinced are you that Eric Bieniemy is the reason that they're doing so well this year? Are you willing to bet the last few years of Aaron Rodgers' career on it? That's a tough sell. Number three in our polling is Josh McDaniels. Currently, 53% of voters say they'd be fine with him as the next head coach of the Packers. And the case for McDaniels kind of comes down to the worst argument in sports. Just count the rings, baby. He's been part of five Super Bowl teams, Super Bowl winning teams, that is, with the New England Patriots. And it's hard to get over something like that. You can't deny that the Patriots have been successful when he's been there. But how much of that success is McDaniels? And how bad a taste does everything else about Josh McDaniels leave in your mouth? Because that's the case against him. Literally everything else he's done outside the Patriots and the fact that he's won so much with the Patriots are part of the, co- or the case against him. Look at what he did with the Broncos. Pretty much nothing, except for some bad stuff. The Jay Cutler incident, trying to get him traded for Matt Castle. The incident where he was accused of taping an opposing team. Not a super great look there. He had a lackluster stint with St. Louis. But then again, who wins with St. Louis? 
And then he had the entire boondoggle last spring with the Indianapolis Colts, where he was all but the coach for pretty much an entire day until he decided, nope, don't want to do that anymore. Add that to the fact that none of Bill Belichick's protégés has really gone on to find success anywhere else they've gone, and it leaves McDaniels a bit on shaky footing. Again, you ask the question with him that you do with Biennemi. How comfortable are you with Josh McDaniels shepherding Aaron Rodgers through the twilight of his career? That's a tough ask if you're at all on the fence about Josh McDaniels. Number four in our polling so far is Vic Fangio. And the cases for and against get a lot simpler from here on out. The case for Fangio is that he's probably the best working defensive coordinator in the league right now. And hiring him not only helps you improve on defense, assuming he does better than Mike Pettin does, is a pretty good one. Because you also make the Bears weaker by taking away one of their key parts. And as impressive as the Bears' defense is, look what that defense got them on Sunday. If not for Jimmy Graham bouncing a pass off his hands for the 300th time this season, the Bears are only three points up on a very down Packers team. Despite all of their defensive brilliance, they're still not that far ahead of the Packers. The margin for error on defense is so huge that if the Bears are even a little bit worse on defense, the Packers probably win on Sunday. The case against hiring Fangio is also pretty straightforward. He has never really shown any uh, serious inclination that he wants to be a head coach. It's a lot like Mike Pettin in some respects. Does he really want to be a head coach? It's hard to hire a guy who doesn't want the job, no matter how good your job may be. So there's Vic Fangio. I'm a little bit conflicted about him. I don't think he's going to end up being a serious candidate anywhere, because I think he's got a pretty good gig going right now. A lot like the, a lot of the other guys on this list, but we'll see. We're getting down to some pretty low numbers here because our next two candidates, the final in our top six, and we only went to six because these two were tied, the last two both have 38% approval rating. The first is Cliff Kingsbury, the former head coach of Texas Tech, now the current head coach at USC. The case for Kingsbury is pretty straightforward, but a little muddled, if that makes sense. Supposedly, he's one of these young offensive guru types The problem is, the offense was kind of the problem for Texas Tech during his last few years there. He was good at the start, but it kind of fell apart as things went on. The case against him is that, like I said, the offense has been kind of a myth further into his tenure, and he also signed a big new contract with USC very recently. Don't know if you heard. Very similar is David Shaw at least as far as the case against him goes. The case for David Shaw is pretty simple. I feel like I've been saying that a lot, but I think a lot of these guys are pretty simple. If you're the sort of person who views the head coach of a football team as a CEO type, he is the CEO coach's CEO coach. 
He just manages Stanford Football Incorporated, and they keep churning out pretty good football teams year after year after year. And if you're not a quote-unquote football school, you're probably shooting for pretty good. If you're not really trying to go for a championship, and I know arguably every team is, but if you view college football as really an extension of the marketing arm of a university, which I think it pretty much is, you, you kind of just want to be in the conversation on that upper third of teams every year, don't you? Because you're just trying to showcase what your team can do for your school. Hey, come to Stanford. we got a pretty good football team. We'll go to a warm weather bowl game every year. You can go to the games at the stadium and have a real good time. That's the extent of most people's interaction with their college football team. And Shaw is a really good coach at doing that sort of thing. The case against looking at David Shaw as your next head coach is that he's got six million reasons not to leave Stanford each and every year. That's the baseline pay for David Shaw to be the head coach of the Stanford Cardinal, and that'd be a hard paycheck to give up for a lot less job security in the NFL. Real quick, let's take a look at three other coaches here. Of the 16, and you can see the entire list of these 16 head coaches at thepowersweep.com and our columns about them so far. Pete Carmichael. The current offensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints pulled at 33% in our rating, though he is one of Vegas's odds-on favorites to get the Packers job. The case for Carmichael is he's been around Sean Payton and the Saints for a long time, and they've done pretty well while he's been there. That seems pretty good, right? Well, it does. But the case against him is that being adjacent to success doesn't necessarily mean success will follow. Mike Patton is just a little bit behind Pete Carmichael. 28% of people felt comfortable with him as the next Packers head coach. The case for Patton is that he seems like he'd be pretty good at being a head coach. Got a good temperament for it. Seems to be able to find offensive innovators to put around him on his staff. He's done that before. But on the other hand, he doesn't really want to be a head coach. He said that repeatedly when given opportunities to do so. And he kind of got branded as a bit of a weirdo the last time he was a head coach. Didn't seem like people really took him seriously towards the end of his time in, in, in uh, Cincinnati, or not in Cincinnati, Cleveland, that other town in Ohio. And again, he just really doesn't want to do that. Finally, let's talk about John DiFilippo. This is the only person, as I alluded to earlier, who you don't really have time or willingness to make a case for or against because if you're going to like Pete Car or not Pete Carmichael if you're going to like DiFilippo you probably don't care that he just got fired in Minnesota you'd probably say it wasn't his fault anyway and if you're for DiFilippo you probably overlook that anyway or you if you're against him rather you probably just use that Minnesota firing as the only cudgel you need that's all the evidence you're ever going to need to see is that he got fired in Minnesota but here's the thing about John DeFilippo. If you put his offensive resume, or coaching resume for that matter, up next to a guy like Eric Bieniemy, they're basically identical. Both have progressive job experience, both have taken on bigger and bigger roles, but DeFilippo has gotten bigger and bigger roles in bigger and bigger spots. And he's done some relatively big things when he's gotten those jobs too. Take, for instance, his 2017 run with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was part of Carson Wentz's success, part of Nick Foles' success, and he was part of a Super Bowl winning team. That's a pretty good resume, but because of the timing and because he got let go by the Vikings, 
less than a full year into that job, I might add, it's tough to justify him as a head coach for anybody. I think he would normally be a very strong candidate, but the optics aren't really very good. That's all the coaches I want to take a look at for now, but we've got some good names coming up, including some that may be off your radar. Those names include Ravens current defensive coordinator Don Martindale, also known as Wink, Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable, Kansas City Chiefs special teams coordinator and assistant head coach Dave Taub, Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur, former Lions head coach Jim Caldwell, and just for fun, Alabama Crimson Tide head coach Nick Saban. While I've got you here, we had an interesting question from a reader this week on whether or not the Packers should sit Aaron Rodgers for these final two games. Aaron asks via our Facebook page, Dear The Power Sweep, there is an article in ESPN about sitting or playing Aaron Rodgers, but I was curious what my favorite Packers news feed thinks about the decision. Tank for picks and to protect Rodgers from further injury or give him more reps with young guys and don't go overrate on the road. Thoughts? I have to point out that due to a hilarious typo, Aaron actually wrote, don't go overrate on the toad, but I'm just going to assume that he meant um, on the road. Let's look at ESPN's piece. You can find it if you just, you know, know how to work the internet at all. Read it for yourself. Basically, it boils down to three things that would lead you to believe that he, he could play and three arguments against him playing. The case for playing is this. You get more reps with Aaron Rodgers and the rookies, the young players out there. You don't undermine the team leadership and, and throw some poor optics out there. And you avoid the possibility of going winless on the road for the first time since the gory years. And I think there are some good things in that argument. Rodgers does get a chance to practice with some young players. And you want to avoid saying Aaron Rodgers is some kind of special guy where he gets out of playing in meaningless games. But guys like Devontae Adams and David Bakhtiari don't. And if you start playing that game, it's at a certain point you, you ask, where is the line? Who is too important to play? Who do we not care if they get hurt? I realize that's part of the reality of professional sports, but it's probably not an ideal look to give your players. The case against Rodgers is this. You worry about injuries. He could be injured in such a way that jeopardizes his 2019 season. And it gives you a chance to get a look at Deshaun Kaiser while positioning the Packers potentially for getting a better draft slot. Currently, the Packers aren't going to be picking any higher than 6th, but 6-10, and 10, but a, a pick in the range of 6-10 to 10 would put the Packers in good position. There is some significant movement. The Packers, assuming everybody everything breaks their way, I think could get them all the way up to 3rd overall. But picking 3rd at 5, what would it be, 5-10-1? and one? seems a little bit unlikely. So probably around that 6 to 10 range seems pretty fair. We'll see. I don't want to spend too much time worrying about exactly where their draft position is going to be. The bottom line is you'd be trying to lose to win more games. So what do we think of this? What's the the sum total here? Well, I'm skeptical of the idea that playing Rodgers is going to get him any kind of real quality reps with players who may or may not be on the roster next season. Let's look back at 2017, for example. You had Devontae Mays, Emmanuel Byrd, and Michael Clark all getting meaningful reps in Week 17. None of them are with the team. And this young receiving group is hardly the same as that, but it's kind of the point. Anybody who's going to be on the team next year 
is already going to get plenty of reps with Aaron Rodgers because their position for next year is secure. The only guys that are kind of in that same category as Mays, Bird, and Clark are guys like Jamon Moore, Jake Kumaro, and Alan Lazard. Okay, so what? I mean, that your fifth, sixth, and seventh receiver are going to get reps with Aaron Rodgers? Who cares? I'm also a little bit skeptical of getting a look at Deshaun Kaiser. Because the chances are the Packers already know who he is. For one, they traded for him, so they they like something. There's been plenty to look at. He started 15 games for the Browns last year. He got plenty of preseason reps. What else is there? And what makes you think that you're going to get a realistic look at Deshaun Kaiser if he's throwing to guys like Jamon Moore and Jake Kumaro and Alan Lazard, who are on the bottom end of your roster? That's not especially fair to Kaiser. If he's not playing in a meaningful game, what is the evaluation really of him anyway? And if you're trying to look at other guys, the quarterback has something to do with how those young receivers perform. So are you sacrificing a look at some of these young receivers for a look at Kaiser or vice versa? It seems I'm I'm skeptical of the idea that you're really going to get a meaningful look at Kaiser. Draft positioning, too, is a bit of a tricky wicket. Currently, the Packers would pick sixth. And sixth is not too bad. Here's the draft from 6 to 10 in 2018. Starting with the sixth pick, you've got Quentin Nelson going sixth, Josh Allen seventh, Roquan Smith eighth, Mike McGlinchey ninth, and Josh Rosen tenth. That's not too bad. But the Packers also could pick as low as, you know, 15 to 18, somewhere in there, depending on how things shake out. For sake of argument, let's say they pick in somewhere in the 11 to 15th range. That's assuming they finish with six wins or so, six to seven wins. 11 to 15 in the draft this spring was Minka Fitzpatrick, Vita Vea, Deron Payne, Marcus Davenport, and Colton Miller. That's a pretty good group of players too. And still on the board when those picks 11 through 15 were being doled out were Tremaine Edmonds, Derwin James, Jair Alexander, of course, Leighton Van Der Esch, and Frank Ragno. The point of all that is, I'm not sure you're getting that much better of a player if you tank to that 6 to 10 range than you would at 11 to 15. And I know all draft classes are different, but I'm not sure you're meaningfully improving your stock. So if there's no super concrete upside, other than maybe injuries, and nothing other than perceived downside, you know, valuing some players more than others, not really getting quality reps, not really needing to see Deshaun Kaiser... What do the Packers do? That's what Aaron asked, and that's really the rub of this entire thing, right? My gut is that the Packers are going to wait this out and see if things just kind of get decided for them. Currently, Aaron Rodgers is kind of injured. Not really specifically injured, but he's apparently dealing with some kind of groin thing, plus the myriad other injuries that he has for just playing professional football for an entire season. I did hear at one point this year at a fairly serious knee injury, so that's still a consideration, even though he may not be dealing with symptoms as much as he was. I think there's a strong possibility the Packers waited out, see how hurt he actually is late in the week, and if there's any question about his ability to go, and I mean any remote possibility, like if he's normally at a 95% at this point in the season and he's like at an 88%, maybe they shut him down. And that way, the Packers really don't have to walk that tricky line of saying, well, he's technically able to play, but we're just going to shut him down. I think you, if you're the Packers, you're kind of leaning on the scales a little bit, say, okay, how injured is he really and how injured do we want him to be? And then seeing if you can sit him down from there. 
That could be the way this thing goes. Just one guy's opinion. We'll see what happens later in the week. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. I even had to leave some stuff out. We had a lot of stuff to get through, and maybe we'll have to get through some more of it later in this week. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter by searching The Power Sweep. You know how to operate those sites. If you are so inclined, reach out to us via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you'd be so kind by leaving $1 per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Donating just $1 per month helps us defray our podcast hosting costs and make this entire operation run with things like website hosting and stuff like that. If you'd like to wear your support on your sleeve, literally consider consider buying one of our t-shirts from teespring.com. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. And as always, the freest and easiest way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes. It's free, it's easy, and it helps more people find the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. We'll see you next Friday, this Friday, whatever Friday, on this episode, the next episode, one of the episodes of Blue 58. Really stuck the landing. I hope you'll tune in anyway. See you then.